Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Into the corner, in front of shot, stops! Thompson down with the pads, stops to break it! What a stop from Thompson! Top of Tarantula, wrist shot, scores! Vegas ties it again! 4-4, 10-20 to go, third period! The goalie has now lost his stick, Locke looks up, Taps it back to Donov in the middle. He shoots. He scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime. Law sets up to Donov. Knights five. Blackhawks four. Incredible comeback win for Vegas. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Cofield, Adam Candy is the company. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Yeah, still jubilation. Dan Duva on the call there. As Sean McDonough said on the TV side of things, they tried to get rid of him, but he wouldn't leave. Uh, Dedanoff, the hero, and now a lighter week, but an important week, Adam Candy, for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll get to that. We got tons of football to get to. Um, more of the first-time or second-time experiences speaking to some of the Raiders brass and new players. So lots of Dave Ziegler, the GM, coming up on the show today. The NFL makes, a, I think, a significant change to their overtime rule, but only in the playoffs, not during the regular season. So plenty to get to. Candy, how you doing, buddy? Well, buddy, I am I am ready to talk some NFL overtime. I, I just adore what they've done. I hate it. Um, and I am ready to get into some Raiders chat because these guys said a lot. Like Ziggler and McDaniel's gave us the farm, and now we got to figure out how to raise the crops. All right, we'll have to sift through what they said because we were talking about Josh McDaniel's yesterday, who uh, is pretty good at saying a lot of nothing. While he seems really engaging, you start to really listen to what he's saying, and you're like, okay, this Derek Carr contract thing. It really didn't say a whole lot except sweet spot, which seems to be the key word now. That's coming up around three twenty on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we come out of the gates, though, with uh, one of the other changes that the NFL has added to the mix, Candy, and that is uh, more efforts on diversity hiring. Could we have an OT assistant, an OT consultant, who is a female coach in the NFL? Well, it would certainly be one way for NFL teams to try to fill a mandate that on its face seems to me to be something that they're going to be either struggling to do or having to get really creative to do as the NFL is now mandated that at least one assistant coach is from a minority class, essentially, whether that's a person of color, whether that's a woman, uh, it can be one or the other, but every team is going to have at least one assistant in those ranks. And the idea, at least as it was put forward by the NFL owners, was that there's not enough in terms of stepping stones for people in that group to get to higher positions. And so on its face, are we going to are we going to scoff at anything in terms of helping the NFL become more diverse? No, of course not. I think we're going to get into this as we go along though and say uh this is not what Brian Flores was talking about. Mm. Man I might have to lean on all my friends who announced that they weren't going to watch the Oscars. They may not like this decision. More diversity. What is going on? More diversity. All right. Well, the Raiders are building a diverse roster of lots of newcomers, and a lot of the uh, 
guys who are with the Mayock Gruden regime have gone bye bye. Uh, Dave Ziegler, just on the surface from what you've heard, what do you like about his delivery and uh, in terms of him confirming about you know how decisions are made and the process? What you never know coming out of the New England system, Steve, is who's really in charge? Who's really doing things, right? Is it all the shadowy Belichick or do his right-hand guys actually get to make some level of decisions and Bill signs off? Now, we knew exactly what was going on previously in Vegas. It was, yeah, maybe Mike Mayock gets to make some choices. But in the end, nothing happens without King Gruden giving his approval. So what I love listening to Ziegler is we know exactly who's making the decisions here in Las Vegas. It's Dave Ziegler. What I love is that he's taking the sort of cautious, measured approach that is the same thing that led to the Raiders' becoming active in a sort of second or third wave of free agency. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. No, my, my friends my friends sent me sent me the memes of oh, like yeah. you know the Dave Ziegler with the no, clown no, face no. on. And uh, you know, they, they they keep me the guys I grew up with keep me in check with with, with with all that stuff. A guy sleeping at the wheel of the car and stuff like that. It's Cofield and Company. Nervous no. I think with free agency, there's a level of I think patience and discipline that you have to have. There he is, Dave Ziggy. Chandler Jones calls him GM of the, I almost said the Patriots. Patriots way, brought west. We're all a little bit leery, kind of waiting to see how things unfold. So far, it's been pretty good. You know, what we've heard from him has been somewhat impressive. The signings, solid, still work to do. We were just talking about Ziggler and the way he operates and how the Adams thing actually got done. And he did talk about the process that leads up to eventually getting to a chance to attain a guy like Devontae Adams. We evaluate every every single UFA, every single RFA. Like that's a part of our process that starts in like October. You know, and so we evaluate all of these players and we have an idea of, you know, the talent level and the skill. So once we had an idea and, and, and for my job, just to go back, my job is to stay in contact with all the teams, like my group, you know, whether it's you know, Dwayne Joseph, Champ Kelly, our pro scouts, we're constantly in touch with teams around the league who's available, where's a need, where's a surplus, you know, all those different things. That's just, um, and you inquire about players too. Is player X available? Is player, you know, Z available? Those are, those are some of the typical conversations that you have as you just, as, as um, you work through your scouting process. And there, it came to fruition that he may be available. There you go. So he may be available. Adams could be available. And then I know a lot of people have been concerned about the cost, Adam Candy, as uh, Ziegler said, yeah, I mean, we definitely assess the cost and not only the cost in the immediate, but also down the road. Understanding when you're going to acquire a player and you're going to give up draft picks, like what's the ramifications for that, right? Not just this coming year, but in future years too. That was a huge part of the, you know, the consideration process. Um, at the end of the day, to add a player as talented as Devontae Adams is with like a long body of work. When you learn about the player, um, you start to understand why he's been at the top of his game for a long time. Highly competitive, high level work ethic, um, just very dedicated to being great every day. Like practice, I mean, this guy 
um, as the stories go, you know, this guy goes as hard as anybody on a day-to-day -day basis in practice. And at the, at the end of the day, you know, we felt like adding that high caliber of a player and person to our organization was, you know, was worth the cost. There you go. So it was worth the cost. And there's a couple things here. First of all, I'm not sure that John Gruden, the GM, always assessed the future. Only dealt with the immediate. Uh, frankly, didn't do a whole lot of research because... I mean, one of his first moves, Martavis Bryant for a third-round pick when Bryant was already facing multiple issues with weed. Third-round pick? What? And that hurts you down the road when he's then not available. Right? That gets you. But the other thing that's happening here is we've got a GM who is speaking as a GM, who we know is making the decisions. And that was your biggest problem in the past, right? Candy, like, who was making the decisions because poor Mike Mayock had a fall on the sword, like, as if, you know, he's the one who botched all these drafts, and I don't feel bad for him. That's what that's a position he took. But, you know, you'd love to get a little more clarity now that it's behind us that, hey, Gruden was, in the end, the decision maker. We know that there's a GM who is looking at things, Steve, from a GM's perspective, which is what Dave Ziegler was really clear on, right? He's a guy who's supposed to be sober. He's supposed to be the bean counter. He's supposed to be the one who is not as much worried about will this guy win right now versus will it, you know, cripple me five years down the road. That's why a coach GM doesn't work. Unless you're Bill Belichick and you are always, always on the side of getting rid of a guy too early. The problem here for the Raiders in the past was that John Gruden, the coach, and John Gruden, the GM, we're never meant to be the same person. Now we know. We've got Dave Ziegler, who, did you listen to him talk there? He's boring, and that's good. He should be boring. <laughs> He's not looking for headlines. He's not looking for the spotlight. Mike Mayock was a great TV guy, a great media guy. Turns out, not the best drafter overall. And John Gruden obviously made a lot of impulsive decisions without consulting the cost. Did get wind of the convo that Mike Mayock had, and it was a very abbreviated conversation that he had on the Dan Patrick show where Patrick asked him point blank, hey, why aren't you the GM of the Raiders? And he first came out listing the achievements, right, that we delivered on 4-12 and 12 to 7-9 and nine and 10-7 and seven to just a couple of plays away from taking care of the Bengals, the team that went to the Super Bowl. Then he reset and he said, why am I not the GM? And then laid it out there that, well, you know, sometimes – the owner's just not satisfied with what he's getting, and he thinks he can get better, which, I mean, I defended Mark Davis on this one. Like, you know, Mike, I know you don't want to list all of the faux pas over the years of you and Gruden, but let's not paint Mark Davis as some irrational, you know, George Steinbrenner type who, you know, you, you delivered the goods with 10 and 7 in a playoff appearance, but, I mean, this guy, he wants everything. Like, everything, like, actually delivering on lots of first-round picks, not having a Henry Ruggs, driving around town, like, yeah, the, yeah, the everything. Yes, yes. If that if that includes everything, then yes. What happens off the field counts. Not botching, you know, 90% of your first-round picks counts. You want credit for Max Crosby? You want credit for Hunter Renfro? Right. Then look right over to that other corner and get yourself a big handful of Clee Furl because that is your record. And when it comes to Mayock going on Dan Patrick, I listened to the whole appearance of Mayock on on Patrick. Look, Mike Mayock doesn't seem to understand that when he took this job as the Raiders GM, nobody bought it. Nobody believed he was the GM. Nobody believed he was 
actually in charge of anything. Everyone thought he was a figurehead for John Gruden. So cut the crap with 5149. I don't want to hear it. This was Gruden's franchise. Mark Davis had no trouble firing Mike Mayock at the end of this season. Mark Davis had to be dragged by the fanny pack into getting rid of John Gruden by email after email after email. This was Gruden's franchise, and now Mayock wants to claim both the credit and none of the blame. No, it doesn't work that way. And those guys own not only Damon Arnett, but Henry Ruggs and... Like I hear people defending rugs in some ways, like, well, I mean, he just he went off the rails in this in this one incident. Like, wait a second. Wait a second. And Arnett was not the worst thing they did. Bringing rugs to the community was the worst thing they did. And the other part of that is Henry Ruggs got a lot of breaks from people. The first year, all we heard was ripping the top off the defense. The threat. The decoy. You you made the twelfth pick in the draft on a decoy. Meanwhile, Jefferson in Minneapolis is one of the great young receivers in the National Football League. C.D. Lamb is better than Henry Ruggs was ever going to be. So even on the field, he off the field, he had character issues and went up killing one of our locals. On the field, he it wasn't a good pick either. So, like, some of the revisionist history, listen, I like Mike Mayock. I think he's a good TV guy. He seems like a decent guy. I don't know him well, right? He was good to us in the media. But that doesn't mean we we freaking go to the deck to defend him and Gruden. A lot of what they did, hey, on the field, they, they made it, right? They had a minus 66-point differential. They overcame it. You know, Mayock with Bisaccia made the playoffs. So the organization was headed in the right direction. But, again, this, you know, well, I mean, what, is, what does Mark Davis want? I mean, give him a playoff berth. Like, he wants everything. That's what an owner should get for the kind of money he's paying for a, a coach and GM. He wants everything. Vegas deserves everything. We paid $750 million for this team we deserve it. We deserve an owner who wants to go get it. Now, Steve, you and I both said that keeping Basaccia probably was the right move for this franchise, but they've made their decision, and now we evaluate what the decision is with Ziegler and McDaniels versus Basaccia and Mayock, and that's the weird part, right? We're evaluating an interim head coach and a puppet GM. How do we really know? How do we say? That's exactly what I'm getting at. With yeah. this regime, we know because Dave Ziegler was perfectly comfortable being behind Bill Belichick. And if you work for the Patriots, you are behind Bill Belichick. That kind of guy is not out here trying to get his next TV contract. Not saying that Mike Mayock was. Mike Mayock was obviously bought in on the job. But Dave Ziegler is here to do that job in a way that everybody understands It's his job to build the franchise long term. And I can agree with the way he looks at things. Do I agree with the Devontae Adams trade at the cost? No, and I've made that clear. But I think Dave Ziegler's process on how he did it was sound. And make no mistake about it, there are GMs. Maybe don't want to be stars, but they don't mind the attention. Right? John Schneider in Seattle, you know, throwing a little championship belt, shirtless. Right? Make moves this offseason. Hey, you know what? We built it. We found a Russell Wilson. We'll do it again. Like, I don't know if you're going to do it again. Um, and there are other GMs who puff their chest out until they're just so humiliated they just stop talking, like your old guy, Dave Gettleman. Listen to Dave Ziegler answer a simple question here, which is Hey, did your move with Devonta Adams essentially force the Chiefs' hand 
to move on Tyreek Hill. I mean, I've read that that was part of it. I don't really know what, what went into their decision-making process. I obviously am not in their building, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that was a, a how that impacted their decision. Not seeing Tyreek Hill twice, you know, twice a year, um, though he's still in the AFC, unfortunately. You know, there's, I guess there's nothing bad about not having to see him. He's a very talented player. Yeah, it was interesting how that all went down. I know from a fan perspective and things like that, whether it was tied together, I mean, I, I'm not sure. There you go. Not a thump in the chest. Like, yeah, I did that. We did You that. know exactly what Gruden's answer would have been. You know exactly what Gruden's answer would have been, right? He would have given his little Chucky smile, and he would have said, well, you know, it didn't hurt, right? Yeah, okay, we know, ha-ha, right? No, take the high road. You know it had an effect. You know A.J. Brown might be next. You don't need to get out there and say it. 364-1100, caller 11-364-1100. Time to get some tickets to see the Scorpions with Skid Row, Zappos Theater, Planet Hollywood, coming up on Sunday, April 3rd. That's an 8 o'clock show. It's uh, all part of a uh, residency that's going down uh, shortly from the 30th to the 16th scorpions and skid row zappos theater planet hollywood grab your own tickets as well right now we've got a pair ari will hook you up caller 7364-1100 finley toyota they'll do anything to sell you a car no toyota problem is too tough too large or too small keep your toyota running like a toyota been a bunch of components to the discussion, regular season as opposed to overtime and things of that nature, incentivizing the ability to go down the field and so forth. So I don't know that it's going to be different. I think it's the same variables. I just think we're trying to find the perfect spot to land. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. 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 Great stuff there from Mike Tomlin. Great stuff. Uh, Adam Candy, Steve Cofield. It's a Tuesday. More college basketball talk coming up later on. We'll get ready for the Final Four. A lot more on the OT change. Eh, kind of like it, but I'm bothered by part of it. Uh, we were just genuflecting at the uh, feet. Why not, right? Early on here to what Dave Ziegler has done. It's not finished yet. It's not finished yet because we'll talk about some of the work that needs to be done at defensive back and offensive line. I mean, you know, the offensive line, if this gets botched and it doesn't work, then a lot of this is moot, but that's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. And then the other thing that still has to get done, can they make their quarterback happy, get him to a number and a length of contract where he's good to go? And they did all they could by getting his buddy Devontae Adams. And, Candy, we heard a, you know, a weird thing yesterday from Josh McDaniels talking about a sweet spot. But not really saying much beyond that. You know, like, hey, Derek's got to do what's best for him. We have to do what's best for us. Okay, does that mean they're $10 million apart a year? Are they close? Where are they? I don't care. Is that a fair answer? I don't care. No, I actually, there, actually, in thinking about talking about this, in some ways, that might be the right approach. Yeah. Because when you follow these negotiations with these quarterbacks day to day, and then if we go even deeper and we start talking about salary cap issues, and then a deal comes along, like it has so many times in the quarterback world where, you know, we thought it would be twenty-eight million. It's thirty-four million. How's this gonna work? And then it works. It works. And 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 plus, there's such a shell game with the money. Like, what is the money? What is it really? When you're trying to read the contract, what is the no. person actually making, and what are they guaranteed? 
what it matters to is the average per year, right? In the end, we can talk about all these numbers, right? What's his cap hit this year? How much is the bonus? How much is deferred? But 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 it doesn't matter. What matters is when Devontae Adams gets X average per year and Tyreek Hill looks at it and says, uh, I want more than that. Those are the numbers that matter. When we talk about Derek Carr, does he get 30 million, 35 million, 40 million right now, right in this moment? Doesn't matter. So I don't care. What I care about is what has already been made clear. And that's the thing that was never, ever made clear by the last regime. Ziegler and McDaniels see Derek Carr as their quarterback. Thank you. That's all I wanted to know. Because Gruden and Mayock never just came out and said, he's our guy. We're pounding the table for him. Okay, knock knock twice if you're with me. Like, like whatever. You know, like, in the end, what I know is that the quarterback wants to be here. The GM and the coach want him to be here. Now you guys go and figure it out however you have to figure it out. McDaniels, if you didn't see it, this is the way he put it. Derek's going to have to make decisions about what's best for him, and we have to try to do what's right for the team. There will be a sweet spot in there, hopefully, for everybody. Dave Ziegler, when speaking on this, I think takes the right tact, which is basically Nunya. As far as the contract negotiations with Derek or with any player, here, here's what I would say with, about that, and, and, and I mean, and I, and I do mean this, is that those are really, they're personal things, right? They're personal to the player, they're personal to their families, they're personal for the organization. And we've all probably been through different con contract negotiations ourselves, so for me, I think those really are things that um, the way that I'm going to handle those things here and going forward is keeping those in-house, keeping those discussions between myself and Tim and Derek. And I just think that's the right way to do business. I think that's the appropriate and most respect respectful way to do business. I agree. And I'm confident coming from Patriots land with the way they do things. On top of that, Josh McDaniels learning in his early 30s. When he was running the Broncos, there's a way to be an adult and a leader. I'm ultra confident Ziegler is going to back up what he just said. What I'm not exactly sure on is the other side. If things get a bit frayed, how will the entirety of Camp Carr react? Oh, are you suggesting the Camp Carr might get a little bit sensitive based on how this whole thing goes? Or that maybe, just maybe, Dave Ziegler needs to play it especially close to the vest, not beyond the Patriot way, especially yeah. close to the vest with the Carr family circus to make sure that none of them start firing off at the franchise. Well, right? I do believe that that the team has at least one person in the media that they speak to. Hmm. Um, I think it's pretty obvious Camp Carr has a couple of people it will speak to. That's been, you know, like I said, made clear over the last three years. So I'll, I'm not going to bet that there'll be a message coming from Camp Carr at some point, but there could be. I don't think we're going to get anything from Ziegler and, and McDaniels, especially, uh, you know, and, and, this is not a mocking on the Raiders thing. This is actually patting them on the back. This is the way it should be. None of this need none of this needs to go public. None of it needs to go kind of the route of what Seattle went, where really Russell Wilson was more concerned about, you know, being respected and wanting some say in personnel decisions and how ugly that got for a couple of weeks. And then eventually he just got emasculated and had to, you know, crawl back 
into the quarterback corner as both Schneider and Carroll. Like, yeah, you're not you're not part of the decisions. And in the end, that's why they get rid of him. I, I don't I don't know that they handle that correctly. But as I said eight minutes ago, I do I think Carroll and Schneider like to puff their chest out every once in a while to establish who they are. Um, I, right. I'm hoping that the Raiders guys are not like that, but I do. It is going to be interesting because because we've heard some things, man, where the gap might be pretty big. You know, the per year gap might be pretty freaking big. And when you when you take into consideration, Candy, that they just traded multiple picks to get a receiver and then pay him twenty nine million dollars a year. I would believe the thought is. And Aaron Rodgers didn't give a crap about this because now we're seeing the result of Aaron Rodgers getting everything he could is that they can't keep everyone. But I believe the thought was, hey, we're going to pay Devontae Adams all this money and trade picks for him. Derek probably can't make $42 million a year. He probably can't be at $44 million a year. This has to work somehow. But that's not Derek Carr's problem. It shouldn't be Derek Carr's problem. Derek Carr, even at 31 years old, happy birthday, DC, yesterday, even at 31 years old, Derek Carr should be looking at this situation and saying, I am a top 10 to 12 quarterback in this league, and I've done it for the last three or four years consistently, and I still have a number of good years in front of me. And just because they want to build a team, it's not my responsibility to help them build the team. Tom Brady could play that game in New England. Tom Brady's wife will out-earn him for the rest of his life. So Tom Brady can play that game between 20 and 30 and $35 million. What does it matter? Giselle is the one who writes the checks anyway. But when it comes to your average NFL quarterback, why shouldn't Derek Carr be looking at Kirk Cousins making damn near $40 million a year and say, I'm as good as that guy and ask for that from the Raiders? And if the Raiders come back and say, well, then what do we do about the Waller extension? What do we do about the Renfro extension? You shrug your shoulders and say, you figure it out. Just the same way you figured it out how to get Devontae in here. Just the same way you figured it out how to get Chandler Jones in here. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Shed over Durin. Big time three. Oh, Jamal Shed. But for Houston with a short rotation, eight men is enough. Three wins in three days. The Houston Cougars, back-to-back champions of the American Conference Tournament. Monster season for the Cougars of H-Town. 32 wins. Another deep run in the NCAA Tournament. Hell of a program. Hell of a good guy running the program. He's going to be out here again for the uh, Coaches versus Cancer Las Vegas Golf Classic. It's the 15th annual Coaches versus Cancer tournament, um, May 15th to the 17th. And, you know, shortly after his season ends, he's always nice enough to come on with us, give us some time. Kelvin Sampson is up with Steve and Adam here in Las Vegas. Coach, how you doing? Steve and Adam, Steve and Adam good to talk with you guys again. I hope uh, everything's going good with you guys. Thanks for having me on. You know, everything's pretty good. Everything's pretty good. You uh, and I'm sure you've reflected on this. Uh, every once in a while, it hits me about you know what we all went through the last couple of years with COVID and you know changes in our lifestyle. And you know, I'll give you credit. You went through all that, and you have been achieving at the highest level as a program. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think one of the um, uh, if we if we have a secret sauce, if we, if 
I have such a great staff, and sometimes coaches don't talk enough about uh, their staff. And um, uh, fortunately for me, my staff is made up primarily of former players. Uh, Alice Price, who was an All-American for me at Oklahoma. Uh, Quantus White, who uh, was a point guard on our Final Four team, and my son Kellen are our three primary uh, recruiters. Uh, um, Casey Beard, who uh, worked with the Trailblazers and the Jazz, and I worked with, with Jay Triana with the Canadian Senior National Team. Uh, Anthony Goldwire, who I worked with with the Milwaukee Bucks. So everybody on my staff has a connection uh, to me, and uh, um, there's a lot of... Uh, family uh, atmosphere within our program. I think it shows with the way our kids play. Uh, but I, I have been blessed with such a great staff and we recruit good kids that can play and we get them to play for each other. That's, that's kind of been the way we uh, do things here. How important is it to make sure that you have former players around the players, some who are close to the age, you know, closer to the age of of the players, and also for for you, not to say you're an old guy, but you know you, everyone's got to change with the times. As radio guys, we got to change with the times. But for you to kind of change with the times in this crazy game now of recruiting and now the transfer portal. No, that's a great point. I, I think um, uh, the word I would use, uh, uh, Steve, is uh, evolve. I think we all have to evolve and, and, and see what's current, what, what's trending. What's uh, what out there? What's out there that other people are doing well, and what makes them good? So, I'm not afraid to steal ideas or see what's happening. I, I pay a lot of attention to the NBA. Um, I think those guys stay on top of things better than uh, just about anybody, because that's all they do. You know, they they don't recruit. They don't um, spend a lot of time dealing with uh, things outside of uh, basketball. So, uh, I like to see what they do out of timeouts. I like to see what how they uh, uh, what they're doing with pick and rolls, um, and I steal a lot of ideas from them. And um, you know, a lot of coaches, I think, feel like they need to, especially young coaches, to go find the best recruiter they can find. I think recruiting can be learned. Um, if you're a hard worker and you've got good communication skills and um, you've got a little relentlessness to your personality, you'll become a good recruiter. And um, the way I started. The reason I started hiring my former players is that there were so many former players from other programs, uh, especially here in Houston, that played at Duke or North Carolina or Michigan, UCLA, and went on and had great success. Their careers are ending. They called me and said, Coach, uh, I'd like to you know, get, get into college coaching. Can you help me? And um, my thought process is, was, you know, you should call your coach because um, I'm going to hire my guys. Because if I don't hire my guys, who will? So I've always been loyal to the players that played for me uh, because of uh, I wouldn't be here without them. So uh, when I have former players that want to get involved in coaching, um, like I said, I've got three former players. I also have a grad assistant that was the son of one of my former assistants. Um, so everybody in our staff is, is real connected. I think that's important for the players to see that, they feel that, whether it's in they come up to the offices or uh, down on the practice court. Um, when we travel, there's a connectivity, I think, with our staff that's, uh, that our kids can feel and they know it's real. helps us in recruiting. Uh, but it, but it, it helps us drive the culture that we're looking for within this program as well. 
Back in December, when you you know you lose guys like Sasser and and Mark, how do you get it to keep rolling along? I mean, it's easy to say next man up, but it always doesn't always work out that way where the next people are ready to go. Well, you don't always have a next man to come up. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, especially especially at certain positions. But we we did a we did a um, we did a great job last year. We did a great job last year with um, um, the transfer portal. We uh, uh, brought in three transfer kids: uh, Connor Edwards from Texas Tech, Kajay Moore from uh, Cal State Bakersfield. Um, Josh Carlton. Uh, uh, hold on just a second. National. Um, and so those those three those three guys really really uh, saved us. Now Marcus and Tremont would have been really good for us, but we had those guys ready to go, um, and they um, they were godsend for us. Uh, we were able to change the way we played. And you know what? The biggest thing for us was we just said, okay, how are we going to get through this to the next game? And then then each game became a season in itself until we figured out um, offensively how we were going to play, defensively how we were going to play. Um, and we had great kids. Our, our staff, I just keep going back to our staff, did such a great job in practice every day of, of uh, uh, developing our kids within our offense and defense. And we had to change some things, but we had good players. I mean, it doesn't happen because you have a good coach. You have, it changes, and it happens because you've, um, you've got a really good staff and you've got really good players. Joined on Cofield and Company here by University of Houston Cougars head coach Kelvin Sampson. His team advanced to the Elite Eight a year after going to the Final Four. Former head coach at Indiana, Oklahoma, Washington State. Uh, been around the game for a minute or two. And you, know, you talk about adjusting uh, coach to the style that you needed to play with the players that you had. What always jumps out at me watching your Houston teams is that you have a lot of interchangeable parts. You have a lot of guys who can defend multiple positions, who are long, who are athletic, who who just seem to make life difficult, especially on the defensive end. How have you seen the game evolve from having that really standard one, two, three, four, and five, to having players who can play all over the court? Well, um, I think everybody recruits kids that can score. Or you want guys that can score. But, but we also want kids that can switch on defense. You know, we, we try to, if we can switch multiple positions, that, keep us, that keeps us having to put two on the ball and pick and roll. Uh, we're allowed to, you know, we can get under rollers and we can get up on shooters. Um, Having a four-man that can guard the perimeter, I think, is key. A lot of times you may not want to switch with your five because you may not want your big man um, switching on to a uh, quick guard that can get by him, and, and then you have to collapse, and then he kicks it out for threes. But um, in, our, in our system, uh, we will coverage call with our five-man, but we'll switch one through four, and that's because they're all interchangeable. They're all athletic. Um, our two and three all around 6'5", and athletic. Our fours are around 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, They're athletic. Our point guard is only 6'1", but he, he weighs almost 200 pounds. He's a big, strong, strong, tough kid. Um, even though he's only a freshman, he was still a big, strong, tough kid. So I think we, we built our, our defensive uh, system around our athleticism and our length. And then offensively, we just um, 
Uh, I learned a lot while I was in the NBA about attacking certain matchups. And, um, I don't mind isolating kids in space. They can, can make things happen. So we just tried to uh, use our, use our, uh, um, our system to help us defensively with our athleticism. And then offensively, you know, we've, we've got, we had a lot of kids the last few years, uh, all of, actually the last five years, um, that were really good uh, offensive players, and they've, they've helped us win a lot of games. Coach, you defeat a number one seed in Arizona. You give Villanova all it can handle in a six-point game. Uh, what did you... What did you see from that Villanova team, and what did you think, uh, you know, of this Final Four, and what we can expect coming up next week? Um, and we played Arizona on Thursday night, and we got back to the hotel at twelve thirty. Um, I'm sure our kids, because of excitement, and some of them may not even went to sleep. But the Villanova <laughs> turnaround was so quick. Uh, yeah. I think my biggest concern was. Uh, Climbing that emotional mountain, you know, being ready emotionally and mentally to play a team that is, is tough uh, physically and um, uh, mentally, um, a, a system and culture that's as good as anybody's in college basketball, you know, a Hall of Fame coach. Um, but, you know, when we got it to 42-40, you know, we couldn't make a shot. They couldn't make a shot either. I mean, we can talk about us all we want. It was just two, it was like two gladiators just slugging it out. Um, on that day, they were just a little bit better. You know, sometimes you just say, you know what? It's not about what you did not do. Sometimes it's about what the other team did do. So I tip my cap to Jay and those kids. Uh, Colin Gillespie is one of my favorite players in, the, in college basketball. I just think his toughness and smarts and plays the right way. You can tell his teammates respect him so much. Um, they've got uh, five players on the floor that can put it on the floor and get to the rim. They all shoot threes. Uh, it's the, shots, the most effective shot fake team I've ever been around. And it's not just when you close out to them with the, with the shot fake. It's once they get into the paint, they play off two feet. They pivot, 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 shot fake. And if you're not disciplined around them, they're going to hit you for an open three or a backdoor cut. So, not an easy team to prepare for, especially in one day. Now, Kansas has a whole week, and I'm sure Bill is focusing on those things. You've got to stay down on shot fakes. You've got to stay down with their pivots and shot fakes. And you've got to, you're not defending personnel as much as you are a system. Um, you've got to be really good at those things. Uh, I think it's going to hurt Villanova that their second-best player um, towards Achilles at the end of our game, it was not a factor in our game, but the next game it will be. You know, um, we didn't have much depth, but actually we had more than Villanova. You know, they only played six guys. Uh, they didn't play a seventh guy. So, so one of their six guys, uh, their second best player, is out. So now their first guy off the bench becomes a starter, and now they're going to have to play someone that hasn't played a whole lot this year. But if anybody can figure it out, it's going to be Jay Wright. Kelvin Sampson with us. going to be part of the Coach vs. Cancer event out here uh, May 17th. Check that May 15th to the 17th. Um, let, let's close on this one. Um, do you have the program about where you thought you would have it, or is it exceeding your expectations? I mean, you absolutely have a program now that clearly can win a national championship. Well, I appreciate you saying that. 
Um, I, I did think we could win here. Um, Coach Guy B. Lewis uh, started this program with uh, Elvin Hayes and, and the game at the time, the game of the century with UCLA and Lou Alcindor at the time and Elvin Hayes, I think, in 1968. And then uh, they were really good for a long time, and then they got Kim Juan, Drexler, and that bunch, and became Pai Slamma Jamma. And after that, they were dormant for a long time, and, and that appealed to me that there wasn't a lot of history, recent history. But great city, great recruiting area, a destination place. Um, and, I, and I thought if I could get the administration to invest and uh, change the way they looked at basketball, uh, starting with facilities, um, that we had a chance. And uh, Tillman Fertitta, who owns the Houston Rockets, gave us, he gave us $20 million to put his name on the new arena. And, we, and it was about a $60 million, $65 million project. The first thing was the Guy B. Lewis Development Center, which is our practice facility. It houses our, our practice courts uh, and everything we have, the women have on the other side. So, so we, we have dedicated space to a practice court, a beautiful practice court, uh, six baskets, plenty of space, weight room, training room, cold pools, hot pools, um, uh, recovery Equipment. I mean, we have great, great, great facilities. Now we had something to recruit too. So now we had something going, but now we had to get players and win. Just because you have good facilities does not mean you're going to be able to recruit. It certainly doesn't always mean you're going to win. Uh, but we're able to to um, use those things to to uh, get good players in here. And you know, we've um, we've won four out of the last five or something like that conference championships and into three straight Sweet 16s. And, um, and now there's, there's a lot of expectations around the program, and we try to use those in recruiting. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's where you want to be. Well, we appreciate the time today. We'll see you out here in May, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Battery charging. There it is. Kevin Sampson, head coach of the uh, Cougars of Houston, and their success is, uh, you know, outside of the Power Fives is unrivaled aside from – Gonzaga, we're talking about a program now the last four years, five years, it's won 27, 33, 23, and the only reason it was 23 is because the tournament didn't happen. They were going to make the tournament then, 28 in the Final Four last year, 32 wins this year in the Elite Eight. I mean, they are, they're here. They got a five-star coming in. They got a four-star coming in. And uh, as I've said multiple times after watching what Houston did this year, there there is no reason locally to lower expectations for UNLV. A lot of the stuff that Kelvin Sampson was just talking about at the end of the conversation. All of that has been done, right? A lot of that was put in place for the UNLV basketball program. That's why if I were a UNLV fan, I would be really excited to see schools like Houston achieving at the highest level. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.